it's interesting today on social media, there's a lot of, hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? There's um, certainly some sharing of stories. I think it's cathartic, but I also think we feel this this need to sort of write the narrative ourselves and not have it be told. Podcast Junkies, episode 182. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are new to the show, welcome to this first episode of Podcast Junkies for you. This is the show where I have engaging conversations with some of the most fun and amazing podcasters that I know of. Naturally, I can't speak for every podcaster that's out there, only for the ones that I've connected with that I've had the pleasure of speaking to on this show, some more than once, and those that are in the pipeline and those I have yet to meet. It may be one of you listening at a next conference, an upcoming conference. Maybe it's at PodFest, maybe PodCon, if I can make it there in Seattle. Maybe it'll be Podcast Movement in August in Orlando as well. You just never know. And I've got a lot of catching up to do with uh, invites to folks that I've met at We Are Podcast in Australia. And I'm just grateful. It's uh, I'm recording this on Thanksgiving, actually. And it's a nice time to be reminded of all the things that I uh, I can be happy for and that I can be grateful for and that I give thanks for. And a lot of times we, we don't do it and think of what you may of, of the holiday season. I'm, I'm of two minds sometimes when it comes to the holidays. It's a bit commercialized, a bit too commercialized for me. And that's why I'm, I'm averse when I start seeing the Christmas decorations and Halloween is barely over. So uh, but it is what it is, and I think uh, we can find the good in everything, and I think for Thanksgiving, the, finding the good is, there's never, never any harm in uh, another day to be reminded of all the things we're grateful for and we're, we're, we're thankful for. So um, that's what I want to do on, in this opportunity. And I'm thankful for uh, Kevin Halbrook and Jamie Ryan, who were on the last episode, co-hosts of Thick Smoke and Loud Music. I hope you enjoyed that story of them, um, really concerned that their their beloved um, bar was closing down and they t- they did what any in- enterprising podcaster would or anyone who likes telling stories and they pulled out the microphone and captured them, which I think is so great. Uh, it speaks to this mission I keep harping on about this of, of helping a million people find their voice and all these little stories that I hear, whether I tell them from my perspective or whether I get them on the show to tell. Um, I think it's just all good things and all these stories need to be told. So this week we have some more stories um, from NOLA, from um, The Big Easy, from New Orleans. It's uh, Mark Bologna. He's the host of Beyond Bourbon Street. And Mark and I have known each other probably going on three years, um, maybe more. We've definitely met, um, and we talk about that in the beginning, where where we met. And we talk about his connection to New Orleans. Uh, and obviously, the subject of Hurricane Katrina came up. So we had to talk about that. You can't have a conversation about New Orleans without talking about Mardi Gras. And... Mark was um, keen to let us know about the New Orleans that people don't see. So we talked a little bit about that. Um, a couple of um, iconic spots, the Whitney Plantation and the Upstairs Lounge were mentioned. And he, he goes into, the, into this topic of controlling your own content, which I thought was really interesting. We talk about the people who helped Mark make the show and how he goes about finding new topics to cover. This is a long overdue one because, uh, as you might imagine, having spent this much time in the podcasting space, I have so many old friends who have yet to appear on the show. So I'm making a concerted effort to reach out to those folks so you can hear their stories because I think they're fantastic. So, as always, full show notes are available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 182 for this specific episode. Timestamps, summaries, tweetable quotes, links mentioned, it's all there. We do such an in-depth job every week. And if you um, resonate with anything on the show and you want to dive in a little deeper, the show notes are the place to do that. This episode is brought to you by a new podcast. It's called The Million Dollar Badass Podcast. How cool is that name? Uh, It's a new show produced by my company, Fullcast, and we couldn't be more excited about the launch of this latest show. And it's something we've been working on for the past couple of months. It's hosted by my friend, Rachel Rogers. She's a wife, mama, and CEO of a seven-figure business. And her mission is to help every woman she meets become a millionaire. How cool is that? On the show, she's going to talk to fellow uh, million-dollar badasses, women who decided they wanted to become millionaires and actually did it. And her guests are going to share stories of how they did it, mistakes made, and the pivotal moment that changed everything. So head on over to mdb.show to sign up, to be notified when new episodes go live, and uh, to hear the latest and greatest and subscribe on Apple Podcasts 
and Google Podcasts. Uh, those are the main buttons we've set up in Spotify as well. So can't be more excited. Um, Rachel is an amazing person. I'm really passionate about her mission to work with this, uh, to have conversations with these elite group of women, and it'll be an incredibly inspiring show. Million Dollar Badass, uh, I think the title says it all. So check it out, mdb.show. Make sure you stay till the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. They're always fun to put together and think about. Um, But let's jump into this conversation with Mark, shall we? So Mark Bologna, host of Beyond Bourbon Street, thank you so much for finally making it onto Podcast Junkies. Thank you for having me, Harry. I'm very excited to finally connect uh, through the podcast. Can you remember the first time we met? Yeah, actually. It was in Fort Worth, that podcast movement a couple years ago. Yeah, I was a uh, I was a complete newbie. I didn't have a podcast. I just had ideas, and you were walking around with a suitcase of uh, yellow podcast <laughs> junkie t shirt. Was that the first one or the second one? Because I know there were two in Texas. I think it was the second one. I think it was the second one. It was still pretty sleepy though. A few hundred oh, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. It's isn't it bananas to think about where they've where they're at today? I mean, the last one. It's literally become the industry standard conference for podcasters in the span of like, you know, five years. It's so crazy. I mean, I, I had the sticker of 50 or 10 because I've been to every single one. But I remember the first sign of it was just a Kickstarter campaign. It is so amazing. And I missed I was in Philly, of course, where we reconnected. But I missed last year out in California. And so my experience was Chicago, where it had started to pop and then to walk in this year yeah. and see all of the, the big media there, not to mention 2,000, 2,200 people. Yeah, it's pretty amazing what, what uh, Dan and Jared and those guys have, have created in terms of a community. So what were you thinking? Because you said you showed up in Fort Worth and you didn't even have a podcast. But obviously, if you're attending a podcasting conference, it's I imagine it's on your radar. Yeah. So I had been a podcast junkie, uh, pun intended. For years, listening to podcasts, you know, it's for entertainment, for education. And I had also been looking for a side hustle to kind of start and pursue something I'd be passionate about. It's a weird story. Uh, in Fort Worth, the conference started on a Thursday. And on the Tuesday before, my wife said, you've been talking about podcasts. You've been talking about a side business. Why don't you go? And so on 48 hours notice, we made the decision to go. I had just had arm surgery. So my arm was in a sling. And she said, look, if we're going to do this and come up with the money in the last minute, you're going to go. It's all good, but there's one condition. You better come home with a podcast. So I showed up in Fort Worth. I was kind of an attraction, if you will, because I had the sling. And I kind of pitched four or five ideas to everybody I met, I think, including you. Yeah. And, you know, some of them were about topics that are pretty common in the podcasting world, but I was trying to play to my strengths. And every time I mentioned New Orleans as a topic, the person I was talking to's eyes lit up and said, that's what you should do. And I sort of got handed off among some of you that were more senior. I don't know if you remember that. Someone would say, hey, go talk to this guy and pitch your idea. And then someone would say, go talk to this guy. And it was universal that that New Orleans was the idea. Um, I was excited about it. And the people like you that I met were like, that's it, go do that. And that was kind of my start. So can you tell us the story of your connection to New Orleans? Sure. So I, I, I'm sitting in New Orleans today. I was born and raised in New Orleans in the heart of the city. My family owned a little po' boy place. It's just like a neighborhood restaurant. You know, in New York, it would be a diner or a deli sort of equivalent. Serve the community right near there. And I grew up literally in that place. And we could talk about that later. But I I moved away for 15 years and kind of lived all over the country. And actually, uh, 13 years ago today, today is the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, and I'm sure we'll get into it. I was working in Northern Virginia in Washington when the storm hit. And that day, uh, we basically decided we wanted to come back to New Orleans. And it took um, six years for us to come back. But uh, we came back to the place that I was born and raised. And that my wife went to college, and now we're raising our, our twins here. And so, uh, you know, it's a lifelong connection to New Orleans. Talk a little bit about that, because there's, there's an emotional connection to a city, and I can definitely relate, because I was in New York City during 911. Like, I, w- I, would, I would wake up, I lived in the Lower East Side, and I could look outside my window in the morning and see the Twin Towers every morning when mm-hmm. I woke up. 
just a visceral connection to just wake up one day and then look out and then see what I saw and climb to the roof of my building. And it was all like, I couldn't tell if it was a movie or if it was real life because it was just like, I could see it, but I, I just couldn't put like it together that this was actually happening. So, and I worked five minutes away from there. I used to go into the World Trade Center every once in a while for lunch. So I understand and I can relate to, to having some sort of really traumatic event happen uh, in a city that you care deeply about. So I'm wondering if you could kind of talk through what the emotions you were going through as you were just watching everything unfold. Yeah. So by that point, we had not, my, my wife and I, girlfriend at the time, had not lived here for several years, but we're always home a couple times a year, never missed a big event. And my parents were here. And so that day, oddly enough, that week, uh, I was working in DC and we were closing on a condo that we bought that week. And so I remember, uh, it was a Monday, and I remember walking into the conference room for our just daily meetings in my day job and watching the news. And over that weekend, I had been talking with my parents who lived here in this city. My mom and dad had never uh, evacuated for a hurricane. And that was not uncommon. They grew up here, you know, they had just never evacuated. And the mayor declared a mandatory evacuation the Sunday before. So very, very late to get out of town. Mm. And the roads, of course, can't handle that. And we had convinced my parents to leave because they were going to go on a weekend trip to see my brother and his kids anyway. So it was very last minute. It took them a while to get out of town. And I remember that Monday morning seeing the news and the storm had come through and talked to my dad. And I, and, and I said, hey, dad, it looks... It looks okay. It looks like the city's, you know, gotten through the storm. And, and I'll never forget, Harry. He said, yeah, it looks okay, but, but the water's rising near our house. and We're not sure why. And, I, you know, it's still emotional, obviously. Mm. And so what had happened was the levees had started to break. And so people that had stayed were talking to people like my parents that were away and saying, look, the storm's gone, but the water's coming up. Well, in our case, our, our family home backed up against one of the levees that broke. So we were um, about 10 houses from the physical break. And so that, that levee failed. It was a design failure on the part of the engineers that built it. And so the water first seeped under the barrier and then overtook the levee. And then it just flooded. And because much of New Orleans is below sea level, once water gets in, it, it, can't, it can't get out except through, uh, through pumps. And that's what they were seeing and hearing through the voices and phone calls of their friends. And that's what I was experiencing in DC. You know, um, if there was a good thing for our family, it's that my parents had, uh, myself and I have a brother and a sister, we all lived away. We all had the means to help take care of them and, and a place for them to come. And I was able to advise um, my employer about what was going on because obviously I lived here and I had worked in the, the office here and so I knew it. And, you know, if there's a good thing, again, for me, it was that I was able to sort of help in a way that probably most people couldn't. But it was, uh, yeah, it's got exactly what you're talking about. You're seeing something unfold and you can't quite process what you're seeing. And it just took so long. You know, the water stayed for five or six weeks almost. So that had to be an impetus for you to feel like you wanted to come back. And it's really in your heart home, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that day, really, even though we were closing on a condo later in the week, my wife and I talked and we're like, you know, we need to start to work towards moving back home uh, to be a part of the recovery, even as it was still in the disaster. And just very much that connection, you know, to family and to home. And, and New Orleans, like, like, uh, like New York, you know, it's a collection of neighborhoods. Yeah. And so you have that feel. You can walk a couple blocks and be, have like a different vibe. And, it, and so that, that attachment is very visceral, very real. And so let's talk, and, and, and for the listener, um, we, I did not specifically plan to have this interview on the anniversary of Katrina because I did not, it wasn't a, a date that I, I, I knew of. But so when Mark told me, as we were booking the date, I said, well, you know, everything for a reason. And I believe the universe works in mysterious ways sometimes. So it's really uh, interesting. And I honor the fact that that's the topic we're talking about on this day. And as I know, it's, it's something that resonates with you strongly. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's definitely a day of introspection. You know, it's not a day that New, or New Orleans really commemorates. Mm -hmm. There might be some church bells ringing, but, yeah. but it's a day we just sort of try to get through. 
And at the same time, it's a day that I find a lot of New Orleanians try to find the good in life. Mm. You know, it's interesting today on social media, there's a lot of, hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? There's um, certainly some sharing of stories. I think it's cathartic, but I also think we feel this this need to sort of write the narrative ourselves and not have it be told. So a big national publication put out a story today and they got the date wrong of when Katrina hit. And, and so I think what social media gives is people that experience it, be able to tell it in their own lives yeah. and in their own way. And that's really powerful for people that, that want to know and want to learn. And so today's a lot of that, you know, but definitely an introspective day. So let's now uh, shift gears as, as you, you come back from the conference, you're motivated, you feel like you have your topic. Uh, and uh, did you have the, the name uh, picked out at that time? I did not. Okay. I did a lot of work on that with a lot of people and got a lot of input. You know, the impetus of the podcast after I came back and people like yourself and Lou Mangello, Steve Stewart really were like, that's the thing. Well, in New Orleans, maybe in New York too. In New Orleans, what you get all the time, Harry, are people saying, hey, I'm coming to New Orleans. What should I do? <laughs> and we all had back then uh, a, a spreadsheet or a Word doc, now a Google Drive doc, right? Ready to answer that question. And I basically took that email and turned it into a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Well, it's interesting because I remember I had a friend of mine, Esprit, who's also been on the show. She was heading out to New Orleans and I thought of you immediately. I'm like, if anyone's going to take good care of her, uh, it's going to be you. And obviously, lots of folks have lots of friends in, in New Orleans uh, in this day and age, I think. So I don't know if you guys ever connected, but there's so many stories that have been told about New Orleans and and obviously... Uh, Bourbon Street is one of the first street that comes to mind when people think about New Orleans for, for better or for worse. You know, there's probably a big touristy uh, label that gets slapped on it. So without putting words in your mouth, were you thinking that maybe there was a different story to tell? And then, which is why you, you named it Beyond Bourbon Street, because I think that's what people think of when they think of New Orleans. And I'm, I've got a, a couple of days in New Orleans and that's where, you know, that's where the tourists are going to be sent. Yeah, I had a very specific reason for it. And so while I tested a bunch, what, what caused me to even think about it, Harry, is once a year at Mardi Gras, all the national news outlets show you, if you're somewhere else, show you a picture of Mardi Gras. And what you see are throngs of people on Bourbon Street reaching up in the air to people on the balconies throwing beads down. And the implication, and if you dig a little further, is women are flashing their breasts in order to get the beads. And it's a sort of a whole debauchery there. And that's certainly a part of Carnival in New Orleans, but that is not the Carnival, the Mardi Gras that, that people, that families grow up with. What shocks people is Mardi Gras is almost entirely kid-friendly. So the Mardi Gras I grew up with is along the parade route, think picnicking or barbecuing um, on the median, except here in New Orleans, it's called the neutral ground, and we can talk about that. But uh, I grew up in a parade ladder, which imagine a six-foot aluminum ladder with a plywood box built on top of it and a dowel to keep the kids from falling at the front. The adult stands on the back, the kids sit in the box, and the idea is the kids are above the crowd so they can see and catch and connect with the riders. That's the Mardi Gras I grew up with and hundreds of thousands of New Orleanians grew up with. But that's not what you see on television. And so I instantly wanted to convey New Orleans as beyond Bourbon Street, beyond that and the tagline of the show mm -hmm. is an insider's guide to New Orleans. So I'm trying to take you along on an exploration of the city through the, through the viewpoint of a local. I don't know if we talked about this, but my, my brother lives uh, just outside. He lives in Metairie. And my, really? my sister-in-law grew up in, in Metairie. So I've been to, been to Carnival and I've been to Mardi Gras. Uh, I've been to both. I've been to Carnival in Brazil and I've been to Mardi Gras in, okay. in New Orleans. So I've got to experience both. <laughs> And I know exactly what you're talking about because my niece was in one of those booster seats on the ladder. And I mean, we, we think we started drinking at 10 o'clock in the morning and we were eating chicken fingers at like 1130. And it was just, it's just a truly festive atmosphere. Um, and I, that neutral ground is in that middle, that, that, that grass strip in the middle, right? Right, right. And yeah, I mean, there's, I think every little neighborhood has its own um, parades and each one has its own flavor and 
some people go out with some of these beads because you can tell like they want the expensive ones, the ones that look like, oh, they, these things probably cost $10 each or something like that. And so it's just fun. I think it's uh, for someone to experience and, and, and you get, you get the, the same vibe. Um, and especially when you're doing it with a group of friends. It's, it's really enjoyable, and, and I really had a good time when I was there. Uh, definitely eat a lot. The food is spectacular. A lot of yes. fine, you know, a lot of great, great cuisine in uh, in New Orleans as well. So that's that's interesting that um, you get to tell that story so that people can can see that there is something beyond what they normally see in the in the news. Exactly, and and as you know, in the podcast world, you you can't be all things to all people. You know, you're you're yeah. shooting for whether you call it an avatar or a target, and what I loved when we when we finally landed on Beyond Bourbon Street is that it instantly conveys, obviously, that it's about New Orleans, but that we're going to get beyond, right? Beyond mm-hmm. this sort of, I'm intentionally not shooting for the 20-year-old frat boy. And it conveys that straight away. Now, interestingly, one of our most popular episodes was with an author named Richard Campanella, who wrote a book about the history of Bourbon Street. And so it's essentially how Bourbon Street happened. And so that was one that was you know, we talk all the time about beyond Bourbon Street, but the street itself does have an interesting history. But day to day, we try to get people uh, mentally and, and, you know, through the audio away from Bourbon Street and to learn all the other things that the city has to offer. Yeah, I was, I was going to bring that one up because I saw that it was episode 68. And I was wondering, you know, without going, I always like to, to invite the listeners to, to learn more about the show. And so, you know, if they want the full story, listen to episode 68 of Beyond Bourbon Street. But is there one interesting snippet as a result of having that conversation that you learned that you didn't know uh, from a historical perspective about Bourbon Street? Yeah, um, for me, it's that. So I, I was born in 1970 to sort of give you perspective. Yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So... Until really like the post-World War II, Bourbon Street was very much not what you think. It was basically residential. There were a couple of businesses. It was kind of almost sleepy. But they began to look for a destination that was sort of a tourist focus. The, the last thing they had had was Storyville at the turn of the 20th century, which was a red light district a few blocks away. Okay. And so they started to see Bourbon Street as a way to drive tourists to this one central spot and it is geographically right in the middle of the French Quarter as you step away from the river. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't really until the 1950s and really into the 60s that it started to become the Bourbon Street that you think of today. And it was surprising to me how relatively recent, you know, recent that was in our history that it became this sort of neon and kind of, you know, uh, strip club and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it wasn't always that way. As we talk it through it, I've been there a couple of times now, and, and there's just certain things that stand out. It's, it's, it's almost like musts, and you mentioned the po' boy. <laughs> like, then there's, there's probably as many varieties of po' boy in New Orleans as there are pizza slices in New York or, or cheesesteaks in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I think um, you, did, you did something on po' boys. I think it's six, right? You did the history of the, the po' boy. Yeah. So I grew up in this po' boy place. It was called Teddy's Grill. My family owned it for yeah. 36 years, and I'll leave some of the details for the for the episode. But the yeah. po' boy um, really originated out of uh, trying to serve strikers that were striking. They were streetcar uh, employees in the 1920s. But the thing that made that so special for me, and you heard it if you listen to it, is um, I got to interview my dad, who grew up in literally grew up in that specific business, and then purchased it, and then had his my mom and I had. My mom and dad had me when they were kids and owned this place. So they were 18, got married, 19, bought a restaurant, 19 had me. And so I grew up in the space. But it was a great way, that episode, Harry, to share the history of the po' boy and also an excuse, if you will, to get my dad on the microphone and record him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Was it the first time that he ever been recorded for or in the conversation? He had done a couple little radio shows, but not really about the history of the restaurant. They had been about general business. And I knew that if I said, hey, dad, let's sit down and just record you. So we'll have it and the kids will have it. He'd have been nervous and he might have said no. But I said, hey, look, I'm at that point, you know, the podcast was new. It was like it would be helping me out. And then selfishly, I thought, gosh, it'd be nice. Uh, and he and I both now are so happy that we have that. Uh, and it was great to share the story and hear him talk about 
the history of, of the po' boy and this sort of iconic New Orleans sandwich and, and, and the role that he's played in that over the years. So yeah, it was, I, I, you know, I'm so happy I did that. What's well, so interesting, because I've had the opportunity, I think every podcaster at some point um, realizes they have gear on hand and they're with their parents and they start to realize, well, uh, I think we there's an awareness that, um, you know, we're all getting old and we're not all going to be around and we're not, none of us are going to be around forever. So I think as we get older ourselves, I mean, I'm in my late forties, um, we just become more cognizant of, you know, the fact that time is fleeting and these memories, you know, if they're not captured, they're just going to disappear. And I remember last time I was home, I started asking my parents for names of the grandparent, their grandparents, and if what they knew, did they have sisters, they have brothers, and I'm starting to jot these things down because I'm like, because I was born in El Salvador, so it's, we don't have as detailed as records as, you know, we have here in the States, and, you know, past my grandparents, you know, I don't think there's anything that I'll ever be able to track down if I don't get it, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're, still, they're still hazy on the names, so I don't think there'll be any records, so I'm literally jotting down and writing down on paper, because at some point, that, that's the only memory that I'll, I'll have of that. So I'm wondering if you could talk about um, how important it was for you if, you, if you thought about this idea of capturing these conversations, because, you know, ideally, they will be, they will be um, saved in, in perpetuity. And you know, with sites like archive.org, you know, you can now who are making an effort to, to keep all this, um, even though it's all digital media, to, to hopefully have it in a way um, that, that doesn't get disappeared. But I'm wondering if, if you had given some thought to that, to this idea of capturing these conversations and these memories. I had. And, you know, it, it gets to this this idea of podcasting in general that you talk about in your show with, with your guests, that podcasts are so intimate, right? Someone that's listening to you and I has given us permission to be physically close to them, to be in their ears. And I do think about, you know, in this world, so my girl's are six years old, soon to be seven, twins. And we have thousands of digital pictures of them. And everyone has thousands of digital pictures of their kids now. But what we don't capture very often are, are their words and their sounds and the audio of the audio soundtrack of their lives. And so being a podcast, you're right. I mean, someday you wake up and you go, wait a minute, I have all this gear. I do this professionally or as a hobby or whatever you choose to do. Why am I not using it? And sort of the aha moment for me is that my dad's mom passed away last year at the age of 100. And we didn't stop to record her, even though I had the gear. And by the time we realized it, she was sort of into dementia and, and we just couldn't do it. But my dad and I both realized that you have this gear, you do this. Why do you not use it? And let's not make that mistake. And it's really caused me not only to have the discussion with my dad, but to get the kids on and record them. And sometimes you'll hear them in our in the podcast, but we record plenty of house podcasts, if you will, that we just tuck away and try to get them at certain times in their lives. Uh, but I think you're right. It's one of the gifts that you and I and others that are podcasters have. You have great equipment. You know how to use it, you know, family reunions or parties or whatever it might be. And so, yeah, I am aware of it and trying to make a better effort. I haven't recorded my mom yet. And just the other day, she and I were talking about, okay, we need to find an episode to get you on so that we capture it. And to your point, you know, the I've now done 70, 71 episodes. Someday my kids will find that and have this treasure trove of whether they like the content or not, they'll be able to hear dad's voice. Yeah, totally. So have you, have they, uh, has it piqued their interest in podcasting? Do they ask you, you know, I, I know that uh, Pat Flynn has, has put his kid on the mic now. Yes. <laughs> and actually has his own podcast. So now all these, there's this wave of podcasters who are having children and who are hitting that age where they're just naturally curious. So I imagine they're, they're poking their head in the, in the, in these, uh, home recording studios and asking what, what mommy or daddy are doing. Absolutely. We, uh, so all the time they're asking, all the time they're interested in how can we support, how can we be on. They like, uh, we did an episode uh, that was about bringing kids to New Orleans. And just randomly, I was recording in a closet. And I think they were three and a half years old. One of them walked in and said, what are you doing? And I explained. And she, <laughs> she said, well, I'm a kid. And she hopped up on a little bar stool. And so right at the end of oh. that episode, I interviewed her. 
And she had a very nuanced opinion about where to get the best snowballs and why. And so uh, they also like, like they're not home right now. If they were home and they knew I was doing this, they would be angling in to talk to you. <laughs> so they have been a guest on a half dozen podcasts or so of other people's shows. Very cool. Do you also think about um, the impact you're having or the history that you're, you're documenting uh, of New Orleans itself? I mean, it's granted, there's a lot of people that have written and, and, and recorded a lot about it. But now you're adding your piece as well, your voice. And I'm a firm believer that everyone has a, you know, a unique take when it comes to storytelling. And so now that you've, you're 70 plus episodes in, are you conscious of the of the mark that you're now leaving uh, on on the community? I am very much, and and I, I sort of think it's the blessing of new podcasters that hopefully most new podcasters don't think of that when they start, or it would be one more reason not to start. But now I am very much aware of we've had some success. You know, people do come to us, people do listen. We have a wonderful community. And I'm aware of the fact that that gives me, just like you and other podcasters, it gives me a voice and also a responsibility with that. And so this is in 2018, while we're recording this, this is the tricentennial of New Orleans. So we're 300 years mm. old this year. And I'm very aware when I do episodes of thinking about time and place. And so one example that I would have never dreamed of, Harry, is that this year I've done two topics that really sort of touched me. One was about the Whitney Plantation. The Whitney Plantation is a plantation along River Road outside of New Orleans. It's the only plantation in Louisiana that is solely focused on the perspective of the enslaved, as opposed to the grandeur and the, 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 the money and all of that. And I'm very proud to have a platform where I could share that and also where I could learn about that history at the same time, I'm bringing the listener along as I learn and explore. And then the second, this summer was the 45th anniversary of a fire at a gay bar in New Orleans called the Upstairs Lounge. And until the Pulse nightclub massacre in Orlando, it was the largest attack against the LGBTQ population in America. And no wow. one knew that. 32 people were killed as a result of an arsonist who attacked that, that club. He was basically a disgruntled patron. And I was able to interview an author, two authors actually, about that. And it was such a moving discussion. And I did feel this sense of, this is a way I can contribute to the history of the city, the learning, because I know that my listeners yeah. would be engaged and likely would never hear about this otherwise. So yeah, that is a powerful thing you can do with a podcast. Even better, it's... Uh... You tell the untold stories. So, of, I mean, as, as many stories as, as have been told in that town, to your point, there's hundreds, maybe thousands that of people. I, I, I walk the streets all the time, wherever I am. I'm currently in Florida. And I, I just look out now and for every single person that I see, I'm, I know that every single person, if you spend enough time with them, is going to have a story to tell you. You know, we've all lived long lives and anyone who's lived into their 40s, Plus, you know, has got, I've got stories, you've got stories. And I think, um, I don't think there can be enough podcasters going out there telling stories. You could have 10 more shows about New Orleans and everyone could just take a different, you know, tract and just talk to different aspects of the, of, of the population. So I think um, the more doing it, the better, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I think it's just so important because when people realize that you have this platform then they're more open to, to, to tell their stories. I think it's so true, Harry. And so just today, again, anniversary of Katrina, I was walking around at lunch. I just needed some time to myself. And as it would have it, I was walking past some sort of memorable and then past charity hospital, for instance, which was a place that was very much a center of, of some of the, the things you saw on TV and the Superdome, which is right near where, where I was today. And one of the things that hit me was that the city has so many textures and layers and every city has that. And so you're right. What I see, what I see and what I see tomorrow and what I saw last week is different. And also every person's reflection against a place, right, is going to be different. And I think that's one of the things that to me, as you say, makes podcasting so interesting that someone else could start a New Orleans podcast tomorrow 
and we could have very different takes on the city. And that's true for any topic. Yeah, totally. Um, well, first of all, when I first started, I was afraid to ask anyone to be on the show. So the one with my dad that you mentioned. That's an important first question. <laughs> right. I just couldn't do it. I'm pretty introverted and I wasn't confident. And so the first five episodes were just me, not because I wanted it that way, but because I was too scared to ask, which is a problem. So then, you know, I chickened out and asked my dad to be my first guest. So certainly I've grown yeah. from there. I think one of them, it's that whole idea of finding your voice and also recognizing that you are valuable and your show is valuable and is a platform. And so one way I've grown is to start to grow into, I sort of think of that as like a, a suit jacket that just doesn't quite fit when you put it on. And then over time, you start to get more comfortable in it. And I think that I worked my way baby steps. I started with my dad. And then people started to hear the show because, you know, no one's listening in that first. And people say, hey, why don't you interview Harry or why don't you interview this chef or this person? And so for me, it's a work in progress, but I definitely feel more confident and more confident that the show is valuable, right? That people do honestly, gosh, people do like it, do like me, right? And that has helped, but it took me a while. And every once in a while, I'll dip back and just do a solo show just because I want to do it. No. But I, there's still sort of... It's your platform. It's your, it's your structure. It's your show. This is this, the beauty. This is like, I mean, it, it bears repeating. I am the station owner. I am the station manager. I am the station editor. I am the station producer. I am the show producer. I am the marketer. I, you know, so literally like what I want to do is just whoever I want to talk. Someone emailed me for this uh, show about this bar that's closing down in Alabama and uh, they're doing a podcast about interviewing all the people who are in there, the cast of characters that were in there. Uh, and they've just started like four or five episodes, but he literally emailed me on the He's like, I don't know. I was, I must have missed, maybe I was drinking too much when I thought I was like, what the heck? He's podcast junkies. I've got a podcast and he just happened to catch me at the right time. I was like, yeah, sure. Come on. So we're talking, I think tomorrow. So it's, it's going to be, but it's just like, I'm interested. So I'm interested. So I'm going to do it. So like when you find topics, I'm sure that you want to talk about, you know, related to, to New Orleans, you're like, well, I'm just curious because that natural curiosity is going to come out in, in the way you handle that topic and the way you ask those questions and the way you do your research. So this idea of scratching our own itch. And then the other thing you, you touched upon is we almost have um, a responsibility, you know, as podcasters, as we start this, um, and I think you, it's something you, you're alluding to, just we have a responsibility to get these stories told. And, and once we have the confidence um, that we can do it technically, you know, and, and then we're not as scared, then I think we just grow as podcasters and we give other people that confidence that they can do it because I'm sure you're inspiring folks. Well, and you just hit on it. It's that uh, I think of it as repetitions. You know, if, 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 we're, if I'm going to run a marathon, you can't get there by walking out the door and running 26 miles. You can't shortcut the practice. And, and I think it's the same thing with podcasts, right? You can't get to episode 100 if you don't do episode one. And all those lessons along the way, and I'm still learning, I'm sure you're still learning about being confident and, and your point about responsibility. So I try not to think about it too much because you don't want to get weighted down. But my podcast releases every other Wednesday overnight at 12.05 a.m. And like today, it was late because I just hit the wrong button in Libsyn. Mm -hmm. And so I picked the wrong date and woke <laughs> up and was like, wow, why is no one downloaded it? And I had three messages saying, hey, wh where's the podcast at 530 this morning? And so you have That's a responsibility, great. but you also earn trust that sometimes I feel like, gosh, I'm deviating from the sort of avatar, right? I I'm interested in this topic. And what you learn is the audience says, we know, like, and trust you. If you want to go zag in a direction, we're following you now. Mm -hmm. and so you have our permission mm -hmm. to go in a direction. And I don't think I understood that early on. Can you talk about um, someone who's helped you and, and maybe not specifically related to the podcast, but, you know, the word mentor comes to mind, like someone that, that, that's helped you um, get to where you are now? Two people as it relates to the podcast. One is Lou Mangello from WDW Radio. Uh, as I was walking around asking every person I could meet in Fort Worth what topic was good, 
a guy named Kevin Harvell grabbed me by the shoulder and said, do you know Lou? And I said, no. And Lou had been the keynote speaker, one of them that year. And he, I was too shy. I wouldn't have walked up to him. Kevin took me by the arm, literally walked up, tapped Lou on the shoulder and said, Lou, this is Mark. Mark, this is Lou. And then Kevin walked away. Right. And Lou was like, uh, hi. And so I pitched my ideas. And of course, he's Mr. Disney. He lit up and he's like, do New Orleans. You can do what I've done with Disney World for New Orleans. And I've kept up with him. I've been to some of his events. I'm going to an event to speak with him, actually, oh, in Orlando. Oh, wow. In a weeks. Talk about coming full circle. Yeah. That's so amazing. Right. And, and I, think, I think Lou would say he sort of took me under his wing, and he's proud of that, right? So he's one, just because of the enthusiasm and the way he's so focused on community and, and so creative. And the other person is Michael O'Neill from the Solopreneur Hour. And from Michael, I got a real love and appreciation for the interview as art. You know, Michael takes takes the, the interview really seriously in terms of thinking about it. Um, and so I had the chance to work with Michael, but I often think about that because his podcast, he's got like 700 episodes now and 10 million downloads. He Sometimes they seem real casual, but I know because I know him now the real thought and care he gives to that. And it's sort of his mission to make people think about the art of the interview. And so those two together, the idea of community uh, from Lou and the idea of really practicing the interview as a, a skill and an art um, from Michael really have impacted me. And I know you think and talk a lot about that, that idea of the interview and really giving that some thought about how you do it and do it well. Yes, I, it's it's been something that I've just learned over time, um, and I've been a really a, a, just started to become a student of conversations and interviews and listening to people. Uh, Alec Baldwin has a show called "Here's the Thing." Terry Gross, obviously Charlie Rose, Larry King. You just start to like gravitate towards people who Jordan Harbinger is, is a friend, and I've I've been inspired by what he does. Michael O'Neill, like to your point, has done well. And it's just exciting to see what people do and just continue to be inspired and, and see myself as a perpetual student. And so I was happy enough to have Lou, Lou was on Podcast Junkies and all the way back, episode 46. Um, wow. We still have to make some time, Michael O'Neill and I, but I was actually on the Solopreneur Hour when we were in Florida. Uh, so I, I was able to be on his show. So that was an honor to, to get on his show. So nothing but praise for those two guys. And so you're in good hands uh, learning from folks like that. So, and I think what's going to happen is you, you've, if it hasn't happened already, that people are going to start coming to you, right? And they're just going to say, Hey, Mark, like, can you give me some advice? And you, for that brief second, you're going to flash back to when you were the one asking for the advice and you're like, and it's just a paid forward situation. So one of the things that happened to me just recently in Philadelphia, podcast movement, you know, I have this passion and love for locally focused podcasts. We have a little Facebook group and Chris Hollyfield from I Am Salt Lake and I have really kind of informally partnered to just help each other and, and help others. And that very thing happened, Harry. Um, over those three or four days, people were constantly coming up to Chris and I and saying, hey, I have a podcast about this city or I want to do this. What do you think? And so I am getting a steady stream of people that say, I love what you're doing for New Orleans. I want to do that for my city. And how can I do it? And it did hit me like one night walking back to the room, like three years ago, I was asking you guys about ideas. And now in this one niche, people are coming to me. You know, that's fun. It's neat to be able to help and, and help others start their, their idea and their journey along the podcast world. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and obviously, as podcasters, we're, we're always thinking about new ideas. So immediately when you say that, I'm like, is there a niche local city podcast? Like, I'm, I'm, there has to be, because I've thought about it too, because when I was in uh, Silver Lake in Los Angeles, um, I would always be walking my dog. And I'm like, I, I literally wanted to create the podcast for that neighborhood. Like, and I, I think I still have uh, Silver Lake, SilverLakePodcast.com. <laughs> So it's just what I, what I thought about it because podcasters are always looking to monetize. I said I could talk about targeting to your your audience. What if you lined up sponsors who are the vendors who like are in that neighborhood, and then you pitch the show to them and say, "Hey, look, this is a show about your community, about your neighborhood," and they're mentioning your your you know your fellow proprietor down the street. So would you like to do it? And it, and if done right. I think there's there's a model there where people can and, and it's a model for people who are 
want to do something for the local city and, and make money at the same time. So I, I think there's some there. And if people aren't doing it already, I'm sure maybe we'll, we'll spark some ideas. That's right. And there's so many angles on yeah. that. So like Chris with I Am Salt Lake interviews lots of small business owners. And his take is to sort of kind of blow your mind against the perception of what you might think of of Salt mm-hmm. Lake, right? In some sense, I do the same thing. But But what I will say to your point about monetization is, my primary or my big sponsor right now is a, a, a little boutique hotel and they are such a good match. We are such a good match for each other because we're dialed in and it almost doesn't feel like a, a sponsorship. My audience, I know when, when someone goes to stay with them, they're going to be blown away with the experience. Mm-hmm. And the hotel is so excited because they're like, we can't dial in our, our target customer as well as you can. And I say, well, of course, because people get to know me and I have this trust. And that kind of thing that you're talking about is so powerful at a local level. There's a guy in England. There's a little town called Ramsbottom. I think it's near Liverpool, but I'm not positive. I think he has 8,000 people in the community. Mm-hmm. And he's been doing a show for a couple of years. And it's like, I've never been to Ramsbottom. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever be in person. But it's phenomenal because it's so dialed in to that little place. And you get to hear the nuances about it. My, my entrepreneurial mind already starts spinning because what if there was a podcast conference with, for only niche, like for only city podcasts, like podcasts that cover specifically, you have to cover like one like neighborhood. Not, it can't be the Los Angeles podcast. It has to be like the Silver Lake podcast, or it has to be the Bourbon Street podcast, or the Rams Bottom podcast, or, you know, just kind of niche, right? Instead of stealing my, like, you know, one of the many things on my on my board is to hold, hold that conference and, and maybe do it in New Orleans. But to your point about LA, so there is a podcast about LA, but what's interesting is it's focused on the architecture of LA. So, so sort of think 99 percent invisible with a focus on uh, LA. So think about that, a place like LA, you can say it's so big and you can take a a slice of it. And that's what's interesting. If it's a little town like Ramsbottom, maybe it's different, but like even even New Orleans, right? You could slice it a hundred different ways. And that to me is what's so exciting about locally based podcasts. Yeah, there's so much to do with it. Couple of questions as we wrap up, and as a regular listener, you might recognize them. But what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Well, what I've changed my mind about is this idea of how I look at New Orleans, and what I mean by that again is there's the surface level things to do, and there's the history, but then the textures that you got to. And so I am very much sort of changed my mind when I look at sort of my schedule of things I want to talk about. I find now they tend to be slices on a topic. So rather than just go at the, I want to talk about the New Orleans Saints. Instead, I'm, I'm thinking about, is there a unique slice against the New Orleans Saints that could draw somebody in, even if they're not a football fan? And it's something that people should give thought to when they're coming up with their topics, trying to tackle it in a way that hasn't been tackled before or from an angle that hasn't been covered. So I, I like the idea of, of the slice. You know who does that well? One of your recent guests, Maurice Cherry. Oh, yeah. And he talked about, I was like mesmerized. I have no like concept about design, and but I was mesmerized about how he's focused on not only designers, but on black designers. But then as he talked, it was again that idea of a slice into it, a different take. How can I sort of shift? So it's not just a discussion with only black designers, but sort of slices into that world. And that's very much how I sort of see where I'm going with, with my podcast. I like that. What's uh, the most misunderstood thing about you? That I am really introverted. <laughs> People, you know, you, you obviously you're on, you're on the mic and, and I've built this big community. And so I meet people all the time and they're surprised when they find out that uh, I'm most comfortable tucked away in the closet doing this or doing the research or running. Um, because that's not what the, what the podcast requires, right? It requires me to be out and about, but I'm pretty introverted. Well, Mark, you're, I'm glad you came out of your shell for this conversation. <laughs> I, uh, it's one of those things that we keep running to. And the fact that we've run into each other since uh, podcast movement number two, um, it's just been so exciting to see your journey. And, you know, it's, 
it's inspiring. It's going to be inspiring for folks that are listening because you had an idea, you ran with it, and now you're inspiring other podcasters. And that's why I just love telling these stories because they make me smile. Um, it gives me a chance to connect with you more than I probably could have connected with you at Podcast Movement because you know how it is there. It's so crazy. Like, I love the idea of going to see my friends, but it's just overwhelming. It's just like, you know, it, it's become a high school reunion for me of sorts. And and as I have my group of friends, but then I keep seeing like people, I, I ran into Maurice opposing escalator. So I'm like, Maurice, <laughs> so it's like, oh, you know, I'll see you soon. And, but just, you have to stop because if you don't stop for those five minutes, you're not going to get them back. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know we saw each other in passing, but I knew, you know, that it was way overdue that I wanted you. And again, I had you on at the right time because, you know, if we had had this last year, it would have been a different conversation. And I think I love where you're at now. And you're at this inflection point where I just see good things for you going forward. And I'm happy we're able to capture this, this snapshot. Harry, thank you so much. Uh- I, again, you were one of the first people I met in the podcast world, and it really is an honor and frankly feels like an, an achievement, like a merit badge unlocked to be able to come on Podcast Junkies. I'm such a fan of of your show, but also the way you, you run your business and, and run the podcast. So thank you. It's been great to catch up this way. Thank you. Where's the best fo- uh, place for folks to track you down? So the podcast is Beyond Bourbon ST. So you can find me on all the socials at Beyond Bourbon ST. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And we didn't really talk about it, but if you follow me on Instagram at Beyond Bourbon ST, I take a ton of pictures of New Orleans architecture. So it's yet another sh- another slice, if you will, into uh, my New Orleans. That's great. Uh, let's see if we can coordinate, maybe get some of those photos into the show notes as well. Sounds good, Harry. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks again to Mark for coming on the show. Always appreciated. Full show notes, as I mentioned at the top uh, of the episode, available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 182. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com. Don't forget to sign up uh, to the Million Dollar Badass show, new show that we're producing through our company Fullcast at mdb.show. Tune in next week for my conversation with Paul Adams, host of Sound Financial Bites. If you made it this far, you're no doubt in uh, anticipation of the retention hashtag. It is Beyond Mark. Yeah, as a call out to his show, Beyond Bourbon Street, we're going to do hashtag Beyond Mark, one word, M-A-R-K. And his uh, Twitter handle is Beyond Bourbon ST. So Beyond Bourbon Street, uh, Beyond Bourbon ST, all one word. That's his Twitter handle. And you can tag Mark and tag myself at podcast underscore junkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. I'm incredibly grateful to you, especially uh, this Thanksgiving week, uh, for everything you do. Tell one person about the show. Uh, let them know that this is the a great spot to hear what's going on in the world of uh, podcasting. And I appreciate you for doing that. And we'll catch up on the next episode. See ya.